We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to a special mini-sode of Yield Crime, the show where Maddie and I discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear every Wednesday. This special bi-weekly segment is called Can You Crack the Cramp Word, which is slang for a difficult or obscure term, which I thought was very fitting. And joining me today are Jill and Allison from the Keep the Flame Alive podcast, and before we begin, I'd like to give them the opportunity to tell us a little more about themselves and their show before we get started. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. I am Jill. I am Allison. I sound a bit like the Victorian grandmother who's gotten sent to the seaside <laughs> with a tea of arsenic. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> and we are hosts of Keep the Flame Alive. It's the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. So every week we talk to athletes about how their sports work. We talk to people behind the scenes. We learn about history, anything around the Olympics and Paralympics we are curious about. And then we have a, a wonderful base of listeners who also love not just the Olympics and Paralympics, but they love multi-sport events and love geeking out about them. So there's that. And then when the games are on, we have daily coverage. We were both in Beijing for both of there for the Paralympics and I was there for the Olympics and we will be at Paris 2024 for the Olympics and we're accredited for the Olympics and hopefully the Paralympics. We have not found out about that yet. Nice. My first question is how did the two of you meet and come up with the idea to start your podcast? So we met working together many years ago and at the time we worked in a, an open office and it was during Salt Lake City. So we would just turn around and talk about what was happening and geek out on our, on our own. And then many years later, we were no longer working together. We were no longer in the same city, but we were visiting each other and it's all Jill's fault. This was totally Jill's <laughs> idea. And I just said yes, having no idea what I was agreeing to. And we've been doing this since 2017. Yeah, so we, we did work together, Allison. We worked at a consulting firm in the library. So I started there after the Atlanta 1996 games. Allison started after Sydney 2000, and then Salt Lake City 2002 happened during her tenure there. Then I left a few years after her and went freelance to be a, a freelance writer. And I missed having water cooler talk about the Olympics. And mm -hmm. I had moved from Chicago to Boston area and had a great group of friends who loved the opening ceremony. So we would have these elaborate opening ceremony parties and then they'd be, oh, they might watch some of the games, but it was more, I really missed geeking out with somebody who would be like, oh, Taekwondo is on. I know nothing about Taekwondo, but yeah. I gotta watch it. So I tried to start a blog and that was still very lonely and a lot of work, but I loved podcasts. And yes, Allison came through and I was like, hey, podcast. She said, <laughs> yeah. And here you are. So you mentioned that you actually go to the different places to do daily coverage. 
That's insane to me. Like, when did that start? Beijing. Beijing? That was the first. Beijing was the first we had accreditation for, and it was insane. Jill was there for the whole time. I was only there for the Paralympics, and yet with my two weeks, I managed to get lost on a mountain, break a bathroom, <laughs> slide down a, another hill. I mean, crazy things happen when <laughs> you're in the winter in Beijing. I can only imagine. <laughs> so yeah, that those that was our first, and we had done. We started the podcast a few months before the 2018 winter game. So it was way too late to go there for yep. us. And we just did it from the couch. Tokyo, I was supposed to go as a fan because we again missed the accreditation window. And then nobody could go to Tokyo for because of COVID. Yep. For obvious reasons. Yep. We had talked about it and said, no, nah, we don't really want to go to China. That's going to be really difficult. And then like, day or so before the accreditation deadline, my husband and I were enjoying some beverages and I told him that, oh, the deadline's coming up. And he goes, oh, you should just apply anyway. And so I did. And then a few months later, we got the accreditation and I said, oh, wow, how'd we get accredited? And then, <laughs> then I remembered I applied and I never told Alice and I did that. <laughs> so I saw the email first. And oh. I texted Jill saying, what is this? What, what do you mean we're going to China? Get your passport ready. Yeah, that's actually funny because my passport was going to expire and I had to do a rush to get the in on time because I did not know she had done this. But it was actually such an amazing experience. So I forgive her her drunken application. Sometimes that's the way to do it. Yes. And then so, of course, we were applying for Paris and I was very upfront. Hey, I'm getting the application in. Hey, why don't you look at this? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Mentally prepare yourself in case we get approved so you're not startled by it. Yeah. And it's a, it's a long time. I mean, Jill was in China for seven weeks altogether. Jeez. And, it's, and, and that was very lonely. She was very happy when I got there. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine. Yeah. And with China and the COVID, so it was masks and not really talking to a lot of people. And it was very isolated. Thank goodness for the volunteers. They were just the greatest kids and, cool. and kept us entertained the whole time. I can imagine how very isolating that would be. I would have no idea what to do. I would get there and be like, uh. It, yeah. And, and I happen to be good at putting myself into situations where I don't know anybody, but I'm also very quiet and mm -hmm. don't talk until I really get used to a place. And so with being in China and not knowing hardly any of the language besides mm -hmm. like, thank you. And I knew how to say eight because I had watched enough archery at Beijing 2020, 2008 to uh, know the scores. It, I, I just, in masks, I just didn't talk to very many people. Mm -hmm. And kind of looked around. I looked around to figure stuff out. And and I would talk to people here and there, but nothing like striking up conversations in a bus mm -hmm. was tough to do. Yeah. Or, I did it. Yeah. Well, you know, you're a talker. That's why you're, that's also why you're here. You're very successful <laughs> as a talker. And that's what makes our show good. It's, you know what? We are very, very different. And I joke about the Bert and Ernie dynamic. Jill has notes for today. Jill's texting me about prepping for our talk today. I'm like, <laughs> I listened to a few shows. I'm going to wing it. Let's, Lindsay sounds lovely. Let's just figure it out. <laughs> so I was definitely, I got, I would just talk to anybody on the bus and it didn't matter how good their English was. 
I had a conversation with a Korean man who spoke no English and ended up giving us gifts. He gave us like Korean, Team Korea scarves and hats. And all I told him was Team Korea, yay, because we were going to a hockey match and I liked the Korean team. So I told him. And so he gave me all this stuff. (laughs) And that's kind of how the show works very much because there is, we're both very different, but we both have the same passion. Mm -hmm. We just come at it from a different angle. So that kind of gives me a nice segue to my next question, which is, I don't know if this would make more sense for when you're at home watching it or when you're in person, but I'm still going to ask it. So do you each take turns watching the events or how do you take the time to report on everything that's taking place? You can't. That's the first thing. Two people cannot possibly cover everything. Mm -hmm. So we both just picked what we were interested in, what we wanted to see. We also prioritize seeing the athletes that we've interviewed. Mm-hmm. We call them Team Keep the Flame Alive, which we've created our own country for, which is Shukflistan. So we prioritized watching them. And sometimes two or three of them would be competing at the same time. It's two weeks of chaos. So there's no worry about overlap. There you and go. it's, okay, which do you want to watch? Which are we going to prioritize? So it's really a point of how much can we do? Because we're not NBC. Mm-hmm. So we try and do the things that NBC isn't going to do. Like we have to get to these events on our own. We don't Mm -hmm. have a car service. We don't have all this staff. Mm -hmm. So that became a big part of the story. Like what is actually happening when you're there that you don't get to see on TV? Sure. Yeah. And when, when we were doing them from the couch, it would be, you watched anything you could. Mm -hmm. And then you, you found out when we recorded who saw what. And that was kind of the interesting part. And then when I was in China and Allison was on the couch, because I could see one event, maybe two events a day, depending on where I was going and what I was doing, because it would take three hours to get to the furthest place out. And you'd, you'd sometimes travel for three hours taking like two buses and a train and another two buses to get to something that would take an hour and a half. And you had to get there early because you had to be there in order to get a space in the workroom. Otherwise you were couldn't work at all. Mm-hmm. And it got to be very, very complicated. So we relied a lot on getting to watch the feeds because sometimes you do get feeds in a workroom and you can watch other events. They have lots of systems in the background where you can get news and updates and more stories that the Olympics and Paralympics provide for you. So you can can get a little bit more information that way. But yeah, it is splitting up and then just trying to see what our listeners want to know about. And all of the athletes have to go through something called a mixed zone after competition, which can be fun if you had a good day. If you've had a bad day, you don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. So they have to go to NBC is one of the first people there. Mm-hmm. And usually NBC stops them and they always ask, oh, how was the race? You know, you yeah. always get that after thing. And they always ask the same question. By the time they get to us, we'll make our pitch for like, please stop, even if you've mm-hmm. had a bad day. Because they don't have to talk to you. Yeah. But you'd be like, hey. And... I, I did go to see one of our Shuk Flastanis 
like one of the first nights and it's freezing cold night it's moguls and he just had the worst competition he's going through the mix zone i don't even know if i'm in the right place i i found out two days later i had been following the mixed zone procedures all wrong because i just walked in and <laughs> you're supposed to like apply for space and all that jazz. <laughs> and i'm freezing cold the cold saps your batteries so i'm dealing with battery problems i had a shotgun mic all the o-rings are breaking off so this mic is kind of jingling all about and I see him and I'm like Bradley and he doesn't want to talk to me and like I have something for you and I'm trying to throw him a little pin that we give to all yep. our guests and he didn't want to stop and he did he was nice enough to talk and that was that was helpful we when we wanted to talk to athletes we'd have listeners say we want to know what the snow is like there. What's it like to ski on this snow? So that's what we would talk about with them. Not it, we, We'd be like, yeah, we know you had a tough day. It's not fun yeah. to finish at the bottom. Yeah. But like, what's the snow like? What's it's? It got really warm during the Paralympics. So it was like uh, these poor skiers skiing with only their upper bodies, trying to like maneuver them, pull themselves through slush. That was really interesting to hear, like what it affected on their bodies if they have maybe one arm. How does that what does that do to the the balance of your muscles and your tendons and and understanding that? So we got that kind of stuff. That's that's the kind of thing we care about. We care about like if speed skaters wear socks. I like that. You know, the things you you think about but never get a chance to ask. We get this amazing opportunity to ask. Yeah. And like the swimmer who has gorgeous hair, what shampoo do you use? <laughs> what sort of product do you put in your hair? Yeah. You know, how often do you have to shave? You know, the things that you really want to know, but God forbid anyone would ask them. I have no shame in asking them. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's one of those things, too, where you can only Google so much. And Google doesn't know all the answers to everything. And it's better right. to hear it from the people that are actually doing it and using it and whatever. It makes the sport so much more interesting. So we had a conversation recently with a pole vaulter and we were talking all about poles and I just thought everybody had the same pole. Oh no, there's like a whole science behind what pole you use, when you use it, how do you take it on the airplane? And now when I watch pole vaulting, I'm so much more amazed. I mean, I'm always amazed you fling yourself, you know, I don't know how many feet, way too many feet in the air. And it's so much more than that. And that's what I think we get from the athletes and from people behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, did you know that every team has a doctor and every team has a translator and all these things you don't think about? That's cool. So I'm going to ask you a couple rapid fire questions. Okay. Like our lightning round? That Kind of like a lightning. lightning round, but it'll be, you know, at whatever pace Not you so choose lightning. to take it. <laughs> Maybe a thunder round. Do you have a favorite event or a sport that you enjoy watching? It can be from winter, summer, whatever. Well, last summer at the Paralympics, or now it's two summers ago, I absolutely fell in love with wheelchair rugby. Oh. It was just demolition derby, wheelchair basketball. I didn't know half of what was going on. I didn't care. The speed and the skill of these athletes was so amazing and just a really fun game to watch. Mm-hmm. So that was a fun one. And also during Tokyo, I discovered dressage and realized it was like ice dancing with horses. Mm. 
And again, the skill and talent and work of those of both athletes, human and horse, really excited me. But, you know, I'm old school. I love gymnastics and ice skating and diving and I'll watch almost anything. For the, the Paralympics in Tokyo, because that was the first big one we got to watch. That was the first big one with a lot of coverage because NBC had some coverage in Rio 2016, but it was really confusing. And that was when we we weren't around as a podcast yet. And I didn't understand what was going on. Now I understand the Paralympics and their classification system where they sort athletes into groups based on abilities Mm -hmm. so that there's an even playing field. So that's why you'll have like 10 swimming races that are the same distance. They're just different classes. But at at Tokyo, we also discovered two uh, visually impaired sports that I loved, which were goalball, which is you sit on the floor, your team of three, there's three on the court. And you roll a ball across the floor into trying to get it into the opposite team's net. Okay. That's really great. They have this ball that jingles and you listen to it. Then the other visually impaired sport that I just adored, and I cannot wait to see this in Paris, is football five-a-side. So it's soccer with five people. Again, visually impaired. Again, jingly ball. But there is so much chaos going on <laughs> and people, <laughs> coaches yelling from the sideline. And like, you know, in, in goal ball, they yell at you to say, quiet, please, for the, for the, when the play is on because so that the people can hear the ball. And this, no, just running and yelling and everyone's running into each other and they m- manage to get goals. And if there's somebody who's going to do a penalty kick, there's somebody from their team who comes out and has a little metal rod and they bang all around the goal so that the athlete gets a gets like a mental picture of where the goal is in relation to where they are and where the ball is and how how wide the goal is it's just that's amazing to me summer i i will watch anything but i do love bmx racing Mm-hmm. That I think is really cool. I, I swam when I was a little kid, so I was always I'm always going to have a soft spot for swimming. Always have a spot soft spot for gymnastics. On the winter, I also love figure skating, but I do love biathlon. And biathlon is just an amazing, an amazing sport. It is up and down. You never know who is going to win on any given day. It's so difficult with skiing and then your heart's racing and you have to calm it down to shoot five targets down and then do more laps of that and that's so cool and then i also love snowboard cross okay again the demo it's, it's kind of like bmx but on a mountain that's cool and then big air oh i do love big air big air is really cool, big air is really cool. <laughs> when jill went to see big air in person she would not stop <laughs> telling me so we record the show, and of course, we'll talk a little bit before, a little bit after, but when she was in China, that was kind of her lifeline back home. So mm-hmm. we would have whole conversations that didn't make it onto the show, and the day she went to Big Air, she was like, oh my God, Big Air is the best thing ever. You ha- too bad you can't come and see it in person. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Next time, I guess. So cool. That's awesome. Well, I don't have any more questions unless there's something else you think people should know about the show. Well, you know, Lindsay, we thought for ye old crime podcast, the Olympics history is not that old, not the modern Olympics, but Mm -hmm. there is a fair amount of crime among Olympians. We thought we'd bring you a ye old Olympic crime moment if you're. Ooh, sure. All right. So 
I'd like to tell you the story of James Snook. And our sources for this are the Columbus Dispatch, Columbus Underground, Olympedia, the complete book of the Olympics 2008 edition by David Walachinsky and Jamie Loki, and the Ohio State University College of Veterinarian Medicine. Because we're librarians by training. We cite our sources. <laughs> and I, and I know mine you too, do too. So, yep. <laughs> cite them at the we're top. We're with you. So James Snook was a veterinarian who specialized in equine surgery, and he was a professor of veterinary science who, at the age of 40, competed at the 1920 Olympics in Antwerp. And these were the first games after World War I. So Europe is pretty devastated. Antwerp is barely able to host the games, but the games needed to make a comeback, and they certainly did. So James was a shooter. And he won two gold medals as part of the men's military pistol team and the men's 50-meter free pistol team. So these were the days that shooting is an interesting sport in that there are tons of really wild events that happen. Mm -hmm. There's like running deer, all of these things that went on. Live pigeons (laughs) was an event at one point. (laughs) But Antwerp was actually the last games to feature this military shooting event, but But James was good, part of the team. They captured gold. He is an Olympic gold medalist. And then also in 1920, Snook became a professor of veterinary medicine at The Ohio State University. And in 1922, he got married to a sixth grade teacher and they soon had a daughter. And during this time, Snook also invented something called the Snook Hook, which is still used today in spaying and neutering cats and dogs. Hmm. So... In 1926, Summer Lovin got the best of him, and he took up with a 21-year-old student named Theora Hicks, who was working at the College of Veterinary Medicine as a stenographer to earn her room and board. So, Oh, the sexy stenographers <laughs> get you every time, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> it's those tights with, like, the line up the back. So they started up an affair. Apparently, this was not much of a secret around the department. And they even got an apartment together close to the college and passed themselves off as a married couple to their landlord for three years. Wow. So eventually, Hicks got tired of being the other woman. And on June 13th, 1929, asked Snook to get a divorce and threatened to kill his wife and child if he didn't. So Snook did not take kindly to that threat. And oddly enough, he did not grab his gun. Instead, he beat Hicks with a hammer. (gasps) And after she collapsed and started moaning, he cut her jugular vein to, quote, relieve her suffering, end quote. You know, the humane thing to do. The veterinarian in in him came out. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't didn't want her to suffer that way. Yeah. So police arrested him that month, and he went to trial that summer for first-degree murder. This was like the trial of the century-type trial, all Mm -hmm. summer long, very popular. During it, surprisingly, Snook's lawyers did not raise an argument. And when the case went to the jury, it only took them 28 minutes to find him guilty. Snook's lawyers also did not appeal because, (laughs) um, you know, it's it's amazing that... they just went, yeah, you're, you are so guilty. We're yeah. just here for the money. And uh, he, Snook was sentenced to death, executed in the electric chair on February 28th, 1930. Wow. It would have been more poetic if he had faced a firing squad. This is true. But I know, like, 
they abolished that and I can't remember when they abolished that, but yeah. I think there's only one person in recent history who was able to request that and have it allowed. Oh. I'll have to look that up. And by recent history, I mean like 1950s, something like that, but not a very common way to go these days. That was interesting. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, on that note, are you ladies ready for some Victorian slang terms? I am so ready for this. <laughs> I've had my arsenic tea, so I may not survive, and the, the heirs will get the, <laughs> the family silver. But we'll, we'll see how this goes. We'll just say you have tuberculosis and put you outside, give you some exposure therapy, and that'll help. I'm, I'm a consumptive headed to the seaside. <laughs> just let me sit outside in my furs. So, Jill, you're up first. All right. Your first term is Jack. J-A-C-K. Jack. Well, I'm really glad you asked me this one. Because <laughs> her name's Jill. Well, that too. It wasn't intentional, but I like started thinking about it after you said that. Like, oh. <laughs> but this was a technique used in men's gymnastics when it was first developed in the early 1900s as it was a military exercise type of thing. And the jacking motion was the way you got yourself up on the still rings in order to be able to start your routine. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Did you just make that up? I enjoy the game Balderdash. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's really cool. You totally had me fooled. No, that is not. Oh. That is not. You're going to be really disappointed when you find out what it actually is. Oh, I thought it was a lesbian. It's actually a term for a low prostitute. So a low sex worker. So I'm assuming it's a down on her luck sex worker, which makes me kind of sad. That's a Jack. Very interesting. All right. Good to know. That also uses stationary <laughs> rings to perform her routine. Different kind of gymnastics. <laughs> this is true. So, Allison, your first term is filibrush. I feel like it should have something. So this is slang. It's not an actual thing. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, I would think all the Victorian hair would fill a brush. It's like a uh, see, I do not play Balderdash. <laughs> I don't either. That's why I fell for that hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> I know. That was impressive. I was just like, wow, wow. I know. And I've known Jill a really long time. And I was like, <laughs> is that real? We were both like hanging off every word you said. Mm-hmm. I know. I think Fella Brush has something to do with horses. I have no idea what, but I'm gonna go with it's horse related. Okay. Well, Fella Brush is slang for to flatter or to praise ironically. Hmm. Stroking somebody's ego. There you go. That's a nice horse you got there. (laughs) That's what we like to call a fill brush (laughs) So, Jill, Mm -hmm. your second term is horrors. So, like, H-O-R-R-O-R-S. Horrors. Horrors. (sighs) This is a tough one because I also officiate roller derby and I used to be in Boston and one of the Boston roller derby's home teams are the Habahors. 
So I always think of it as, you know, roller derby related, but maybe it has something to do with a hysterical condition that one gets when one goes swimming in the sea in a very, you know, shoulder to ankle swimsuit that may be weighted down so it doesn't rise up and expose your legs to the masses. Oh, I like that. Horrors is the low spirits or the blue devils which follow intoxication. Oh. Sort of like how we got our accreditation. (laughs) (laughs) I think you did say the horror of it all. (laughs) I'm just going to do this and see what happens. (laughs) We're going to end up in China. This is great. (laughs) NBD. (laughs) Allison, your second term is CAGMAG. So C-A-G-M-A-G. This has got to do with kitchen wench kind of things, like something in the kitchen, like a woman who can't do something. You are on the right track with the kitchen. Oh. So a cag mag is bad food, scraps, or odds and ends, or essentially something that no one would want to eat. Yet again, we could bring that to the horses. Oh, you could. (laughs) Or to the pigs, you know. The pigs eat any keg mags you throw at them that's for sure i'm impressed that there were keg mags back then because one would think that there would be not not much a lot of food insecurity and so one would eat most of your food except for maybe if you have an upstairs downstairs situation yeah and then the upstairs doesn't well i I cannot eat anymore because otherwise my corset will be tighter than ever Mm -hmm. this is true you can only tighten them so far before you're like either passing out or getting physically ill. So I can see Faint, that. Fainting couches. <laughs> yeah. Slide them in. <sighs> so it's funny we're talking about fainting couches because we do, when we do talk about Olympic history, there's a lot of discussion of obviously women and women in sports. Mm-hmm. And there's always a lot of concern about can women's bodies handle this? So there are times when we come across these Victorian men from the 2010s who are very concerned (laughs) that our delicate frames will just not be able to handle those big, scary skis. You know, our delicate bird bones. Mm -hmm. Body parts falling out everywhere. (laughs) Yep. It would be a cag bag. Yep. (laughs) Then we really will have the horrors. (laughs) On that note... I would like to thank Jill and Allison for joining me today for Can You Crack the Cramport? And before we go, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and when new episodes of your show come out? Sure. New episodes of the show come out every Thursday. And then once the games start, just look for them every day. And that will be in July. We are are like 500 days out until the Paralympics right now. So the Paris 2024 Olympics start July 26th. So we will have daily episodes starting a little bit before that because the games actually start before the games start. You can wrap your head around that. But uh, (laughs) The pre-games. Exactly. And then, uh, Allison, on social, we are? So on social, we are on Twitter, Instagram, 
and Facebook. And our handles are at Flame Alive Pod. And then our website is flamealivepod.com. And we have our episodes there and we hang out and love to hear from everybody. That's awesome. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay, and I'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.